0: John 14, 1-6, I want you to know, is one of the most profound passages in all of the Bible. It, listen, it is a foundation of hope. It is a foretaste of heaven. It is the fulfillment of healing. And it is the finality of holiness. But one thing as we approach this text that we need not forget as we gaze into the beauty of is that this passage deems heaven as exclusive. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. I've entitled the message today, The Pathway to Victory. Today we find ourselves in John chapter 14. We've been working through the book of John. In this church, we go book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, We don't want to leave anything out. All uh, God's Word is inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be adequately equipped for all Good works. And so that is our hope and our desire here. And so we have arrived at John chapter 14. And specifically, we're going to look today at verses 1 to 6. John 14, 1 to 6, I want you to know, is one of the most profound passages in all of the Bible. Listen, it is a foundation of hope. It is a foretaste of heaven, it is the fulfillment of healing, and it is the finality of holiness. But one thing as we approach this text that we need not forget as we gaze into the beauty is that this passage deems heaven as exclusive. We need to view its exclusivity as its importance. When it comes to heaven, listen, let's just put it out there. There is only one way to heaven, and that is the way of Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 4 says that Christ, listen, was chosen by God to be the savior of the world. John 3.13 says that Jesus is the only one that has come down from heaven and come to earth and has ascended back to the right hand of the Father where He now intercedes on our behalf. Hebrew 4.15 says He is the only person that has lived the perfect human life. Sinless. Matthew 5.17 says that Christ is He only fulfilled the one who has fulfilled both law and the prophets. First John 2.2 2 says that Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 claim that He is the only man to have conquered death forever. First Timothy 2.5 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. Philippians 2, 9 has declared that God has exalted Christ as, as to the highest place and have given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen this morning. Jesus is the pathway to victory. Listen, you might get to choose between the 200 plus flavors of lay potato chips or the 164 different names of bottled water but when it comes to heaven when it comes to your eternal state listen Jesus Christ is the only way he is indeed the pathway to victory if you will turn with me in your Bibles to John 14one to 6 and let us read he says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way I'm going." And Thomas said, "Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way?" And Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Today as we enter John chapter 14, we're still in the upper room. Christ has begun to approach Calvary. The devil has done his deed and entered into the heart of Judas. And he is well on his way to the cross. Jesus is with His remaining faithful disciples even though I could only imagine the hurt that Peter has sustained, as Jesus basically told him, you will deny me three times, you think you love me, but you really don't. Not the way you think. They're really all distressed, nonetheless. He is with his disciples and he's teaching them many great truths, as he will in this whole uh, upper room discourse. They will need to be reminded of these truths as Jesus leaves and departs from this earth and ascends up to the right hand of the Father. And He wants to make sure that they are very well equipped, that there is no mistake or confusion as to the promises and truths that He has given to warm their soul. And so Jesus begins by encouraging them with a message of comfort and peace. I believe we are living in a day when we all need the same comfort and peace. The peace of God and the truth of Christ. We need a message that reminds us of God's goodness and encouragement. the disciples are not totally sure what he's talking about in this passage. He's talking about Jesus keeps saying, "I'm going away." They they don't understand it completely. He's already predicted his death. He has completely made them uncomfortable by getting down and serving them as a humble servant. Imagine that—the Creator of the world in flesh—washing the feet of his disciples, and not only that, the very foot of Judas, who is going to betray him, is announced to them that one of them is the devil. And he will betray him. I feel certain that these disciples are discouraged. Trouble hearted. They are scared and wondering, number one, where he is going that they couldn't come. Peter's already asked that. And now Christ is going to comfort them. He, he's going to Speak something to them that should encourage them and warm their soul. Jesus is going to give them peace in knowing that it all will be okay in the end. Three things that I want you to know and see as we look at the hope of heaven. And that is number one, heaven is a prepared place. Number two, heaven is a promised place. But thirdly, heaven is a private place. First, I want you to consider that heaven is a prepared place. Uh, Something I believe that is built within our DNA is the reality and the necessity for stability and security. I think about my wife and all of the years and all of the children we've had and uh, when she began nesting. That's a a woman term. (laughs) But But there was this great need internally for her to feel a place of security and comfort to raise her children. And I saw how important stability and security was to her. Stability is one of the reasons we as people work so hard to provide for our families' homes and houses that are safe and secure. Because we want to ultimately feel a level of security, stability. We want to live in a place that's cozy and comfortable. But the problem with that in its reality is that it's all a false sense of security. Because at any moment a hurricane could come through. I mean, just a few months back, we encountered something in our local community where a tornado wiped out many, many homes and devastated the lives of many. A flood could happen and completely wipe out our homes, take everything that we have worked so hard to create security and be gone in the blink of an eye. What Jesus is about to disclose to those in this upper room is an offer of security, an authentic stability that will, listen, never be destroyed. It will never let you down. So that is why Christ says here in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Listen, the first command He gives is, is to not let your hearts be troubled. Why shouldn't their hearts be troubled? I mean, the Savior has already admitted that He's going to die. And listen, It may not seem like it to you, but these men have given up everything to follow Jesus Christ. And here he's telling them, I'm I'm going away and where I'm going, you cannot come. Their hearts are devastated. Why wouldn't their hearts be troubled? And so he sees their pain and their discomfort and their worry. And he reminds them, Guys, do not let your heart be troubled. See, their, their, their disbelief is what the root of their uncomfort is. This command seems to be rooted in their belief in God and in Christ. We live in a world full of troubles. We live in a world full of troubled hearts. I mean, it's said that the depressive episodes hit the highest among ages 18 to 25. That's supposed to be like the pinnacle age of life, isn't it? 8.7% of women are said to have depression. 5.3% of men are said to have depression. And that was in 2014. Could you imagine what it is now? Listen, troubled hearts are steady on the rise. And maybe you come today and that's a genuine reality for which you face. You're struggling today with a troubled heart. But the truth is we are commanded to not let our hearts be troubled. Many do come though discouraged, walking in fear, walking in worry. And the Lord says, guys, no! Why? Why? Because Christ is going to give them a two-fold reason. The first was that He wanted them to put their trust in Christ. What was it that David said when he was troubled in his heart? He says in Psalm 56, 3, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I always say when faith is destroyed, fear moves in. Or when fear moves in, faith moves out. Because faith and fear, listen, they can't cohabitate. I think we can all agree in life that we can experience troubles. We're human. Jesus says in this life you will have troubles. So it, they're coming. Either you're there now, or they're coming, or you're just about to get out of one. The reality is is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. But here the Lord is commanding, them do not let your heart be troubled. But because many do walk in troubled hearts with worry and fear and discouragement, many are walking in defeat. And so we have to ask ourselves the question and ask it honestly, do we walk normally in a life of defeat? I, I can't answer that for you and you can't answer that for me. We have to ask ourselves the question, is my life... Consistently built in walking in defeat. Is your heart troubled? Christ says, don't let it be today. As children of God, He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Listen, you have life now. He who has the Son, what? What? has the life in the present tense. You are living for eternity right now today if you are in Christ. What do we have to, to be troubled about? Some temporal issue in our life that discourages us? You see, when we take our eyes off of Christ, it sure does allow our circumstances to look terrible. But He says, no, don't let your hearts be troubled. We are living a life of eternity for those who are in Christ. And when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, listen, you are in union with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 Second 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of self-control. Listen, Christ is speaking to His disciples. He's not speaking to unbelieving Jews. Therefore, not only is He speaking to the disciples, He is speaking to you and to me to give us hope, to give us assurance, commanding us this morning, God, don't, women, don't let your hearts be troubled. So He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The first reason, listen, that we shouldn't walk around with a troubled heart is because we walk by faith and not by sight. The disciples understood who God was. They, they had a good grasp of the Old Testament. They believed God. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus is telling them, listen, as much as you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you believe also in Me. Christ understands that they must. It's essential that they believe in His words. Because He is about to give them a second reason. That they should not be troubled. And it should give them hope. It should give them assurance. But listen, if they fail at believing Him in the first promise, they can't grasp the second one. If they fail to understand that His Word is truth, they can't find comfort. And neither can we. That goes for us today. Can I challenge you today? whatever it is you are going through, I want to call you today to believe in God. Believe in Christ and His Word so that number one, you can find salvation. Salvation comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. But the second thing is that you find comfort and peace for those who are already in Christ, for your troubled soul. Jesus is about to speak hope into these men's lives, and He is doing the same to us today as His children. But it begins by believing first in Him. And when I mean we believe in everything else in this world, why don't we believe in Christ as much as we do what we see on the news or in social media? I mean, we hear what happens on the news and many say, oh, it must be true. Or we, social media, oh, it must be true. Yet we fail to believe what Christ has promised and is living and active in the errant word. And that's where our hope lies. How much more should we believe in Christ and his living and active word? The word, listen, is our measure of truth. How much more? When he says believe, this is uh, in the Greek gives an idea of a steady. It gives an idea of an ongoing, relying, and active trusting in the Lord, even in the face of difficult times, which you know and I know will come. It's expected that we will be troubled when we lose the loved one. It's expected that we will have troubled hearts when someone hurts us or slanders us. It's expected that we will have a troubled heart Heart when our spouse walks out on us and leaves us divorced. It, it, it It's expected that we'll have a troubled soul when the doctor says, you have cancer. It's expected to have a troubled soul when you lose your job. And not only your job, but now you lose your home and you're homeless. It's hard not to have a troubled heart. But here He commands us. It's not an option. It's in the imperative. Commands us not to. And to solidify the second reason that we are not to be troubled, he in our heart, he comes from verse 2. He says, here's why. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. Did you hear that? Listen, heaven is a prepared place. This should indeed offset the pain of loss and grant us a future hope for a better life and a security that cannot be removed, knowing that we will reign with Christ. And so he grants them a great reason for hope. He grants you a great reason for hope when he says, I am going Listen, he is already gone. He's already gone to the cross. He's already conquered death. He has given you victory for those that are in Christ. Now, they didn't get it till after he was dead and buried and rose again. But the reality is Jesus has prepared a place for them and for us. He says that the Father's house has many rooms. This, this is heaven. It gives the idea of a a welcoming, cozy, dwelling place that awaits us at the end of this earthly life. Listen, this is not our home. Praise God this is not our home. I mean, I was thinking about it this morning. It's like building a house and putting our security and things on this earth is like going on a train trip, stopping in Yamasee at the train hub, and building your house when the next train's on its way to take you to the final destination. It would make absolutely no sense because everything you put into this life and into this world, you will not carry with you when you leave to the next station, which is heaven. So we're called. This is not our home. To look forward to our home with Christ in heaven. God has a place prepared for those that are in Christ. And when you depart from this life, listen, you will step into eternity with Christ. The reality is, Christ said, it's already prepared. And it's waiting on your arrival. That may not seem super important to young people. Because they think they're going to live forever. But as we face the reality of our day, When we watch the people we love depart from this world and step into eternity, death brings about a a reality. We all need to be reminded of the hope of heaven because whether you like it or not, you are going there or He is coming here. You will die and they will put your body in the ground unless Christ returns heaven will become a stark reality or hell. Wherever your final destination ends up. But the reality is for the Christian, He's prepared a place for us. And Jesus wants to make sure that these guys understand He's not a liar, and so He says, if it were not, to- if it were not so, I would have told you. He's all-knowing. He's God in flesh. And Jesus went to the cross and after His death, He ascended up to the right hand of the Father where He went and prepared a place for you and for all that would believe the Gospel. Everything is in order and Jesus awaits all of His children. John 6.36-40 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Oh man, the joy of that! If we contemplated on that throughout our day, every day we woke praising God for just another morning to praise Him and to give Him the glory because the reality is is we might not finish this sermon. I might kill over right now. But it's okay because I'm crucified with Christ and I have the hope of heaven. And Jesus, He is indeed the pathway to victory. He's coming or we're going there. It just depends on which side of the line you are on. We will all step into eternity. The scripture says, Listen that you are either a child of the devil or you are a child of God. Period. Every person falls into one of those two categories. you are you, you can't be a child of God and a child of Satan. You're either one or the other. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You've either rejected him or you have accepted him. The reality is, is one of those is us. We've been created by God, all of us in the very image of God. We are special. But something happened in the Garden of Eden when man sinned. We become corrupt. We have been created in the image of God, we see that in Genesis. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we see it in Romans eleven thirty-six. 36, we see it in Colossians 1 16. But hear me this morning, we are not all children of God. We are not all children of God. Perhaps no better verse in Scripture makes this point than John 1 12 13 that says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, He, God, gave them the right to become what? Children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but rather the will of God. God is in control of salvation. It is God who saves, and it is God who gives the right of people to become children of God. We aren't born children of God. It takes regeneration. It takes a renewing of our heart to become children of God. Listen, until we understand fully that sin absolutely ruins us, we'll never grasp the true glory of God. We are ruined. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And the Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. Only Christ is perfect. That is the reality. And so John 3, 8, 5, we learn that Jesus reminds Nicodemus of this same truth. He says, unless you are born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're not a child of God unless you're born of God. On the contrary, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are born into sin. And therefore, children of wrath, disobedient, children of the devil, Psalm five reminds us, Surely I was sinful at, at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Listen, life begins at conception. It, it, it begins at conception. Our souls, sin penetrates at conception. In our pre-conversion state, we are sinners. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among them we too previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Listen, looking at the doctrine of justification this week reminded me that it's not until God justifies us before Himself that we become children of God. Until He declares us right before God. Listen, we are guilty in our sin. We've broken the law of God. Have you ever lied? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Have you ever stolen anything? Then by your own omission, because I know you all have, you're a living, thieving, adulteress who needs a Savior. And listen, you've broken the law of God. And God is a just judge. He ain't like these corrupt judges we have in our day. He is a righteous judge. And He will judge you rightly guilty unless you're covered in the blood of Christ. You see, we've been created in the image of God, but God must punish sin. And so it's important to understand that we are all born in sin and must repent and believe and be saved. Listen, heaven, is a it's there, it's prepared. But listen, it's only for the children of God. And thus hell is the final eternal prepared place for those who are not children of God. So how do we become children of God? There must be the great exchange. You see, we are sinfully separated and guilty, broken the law of God. Condemned under God's justice. But God, listen, but God, seeing your inability, provides a method for all of humanity to be saved. And it's through His Son Jesus Christ that He does this. Through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And while we were yet sinners, the Bible says that Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. What that means, listen, forgiveness of sins can be only based upon the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Christ ultimately takes your place. He takes your sin and applies it to His own. He is the doctrine of imputation. Is the method by which God, through doing what He does, takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it, or He counts it on the sinner's account as credit, deeming that person as righteous as Christ in the eyes of God. I'm going to tell you something this morning. In order to get to heaven, you must be as perfect as Christ. You say, Well, how can you say such a thing? That's impossible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And God has provided the method. Now you need to be covered in the blood of Christ. Imputation is the method by which God uses. Listen, without Christ, we are absolutely nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. Without Christ, we are nothing. Therefore, Christ has indeed, listen, taken the punishment of sin for those in Christ so that you are indeed no longer under the condemnation of God. When you are regenerated and converted and you are justified, declared right, you are born again from above and you obtain the imputed righteousness of Christ so that when God sees you, He sees you as Christ. His sacrifice... His death on the cross covers our sin. Allowing God to see us as perfect and unblemished. Because as believers, listen, we are in Christ. That's the doctrine of the union with Christ. God sees Christ as His own righteousness when He looks at us. This meets God's demand for perfection. And thus, He declares us righteous and justifies us. Notice what I didn't say. That you're going to be good enough to get to heaven. Because if you think for one skinny second that when you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, because I've lived a good life. Oh boy, it will be a rude awakening. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Listen, you must be washed in the blood of Jesus. You must be covered in His righteousness, so that when God sees you, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. You can do nothing to obtain your salvation. It is a work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to those that believe. And the Bible says no one seeks after God. No, not one. So what does that mean? That God took the initiative to reestablish a relationship with man. He has called us to Himself. And for those that would respond by faith, He gives them the assurance of salvation and victory in Christ, whom is the pathway to heaven. So when He justifies us and declares us right, listen, He adopts us as His children. He adopts us and we become children of God based on the, and based on his right to declare that we are his children. That is the beauty of the gospel. This should drive us guys and gals and children. This should drive us with a, with a passion like never before to proclaim the gospel to a dying world who needs Jesus to go and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified as the only way in salvation. Where will you go when you die? That is the question that comes to light now. Where will you go when you die? Heaven has been prepared for those that would believe. We believe in Christ, not so that, listen, we can gain security or stability or even the comfort of heaven. But we believe Christ because we've come to grips that we have offended a holy and righteous and perfect God that demands His justice. And we know that if we are not declared right before the righteous judge, He will say guilty. Depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, what a day it will be. How terrifying. So we must stop walking around with troubled souls, believed Christ, looked forward to heaven and trust Him for salvation. Heaven, listen, first is a prepared place, but secondly, heaven is a promised place. Notice the promise that He makes here is to the children of God. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And Listen, this is a promise. Jesus just said that if I go, I will come and I will return and I will come back to you. That where I am there, you may be also. Listen, at the second coming of Christ, Matthew reminds us that the angels will gather the elect in Matthew 24, 30 to 31. But here we see something different. Jesus promises that he will come personally. In the second coming, we are told that the saints will come with Christ. Revelation nineteen eight and 14. Listen, there is is strong theological truth here in this passage of Scripture. And for one reason, we as a church hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. Christ has promised, listen, that He would return in order to take His disciples up to heaven, not bring judgment, not at this time, he says, I will go and prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place, what? I will come to you. And that where I am, there you may be also. There is unity, union with Christ. Heaven has been prepared for those that would believe. He promises that he's going, bringing us to a dwelling place in heaven. Listen, this is impossible to fulfill with a post-tribulation view. In that scenario, listen, the saints join him in the air and immediately are escorted down to the Mount of Olives where he comes back with all authority and power and on that white horse where he will bring judgment. But here, a preacher rapture seems to fit perfectly in which the saints go to their heavenly dwelling places fulfilling what we see in John 14. I will receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also that we will be together in a prepared dwelling place. There is no judgment here in this promise yet. A judgment's coming. All things will be revealed. He will win in the end. But there is an establishment of the kingdom at this point. Listen, heaven is a promised place to those who are in Christ. And you can experience with the Lord if you will put your faith in Christ. This prepared and promised place will be absolutely stunning. It will be amazing. And the Bible teaches that after we pass on from here, we go to, the, to, from this life to that life where He raptures us. Those who are in Christ will be going to be with the Lord in His prepared place, heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's much better than where we are today with all of the pain and the suffering. All of the sin and corruption and chaos and confusion. Man, we're in a corrupt world. Heaven, listen, is a real place. Revelation 4, 1 to 3, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It's not a state of mind or a state of non existence. Heaven is a holy place. Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. With his saving strength in his right hand. Heaven is a, a joyful place. Luke fifteen, seven and verse ten says there is joy among the angels over one sinner that repents. Heaven is a peaceful place. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There neither shall be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's no sin. The greatest news that Jesus promises us on this earth is not that He's going to heal you right now, but that He's prepared a place for you. Listen, the reality is that He may not heal you. He may not take care of your problem now, but He will. I've got a dear pastor friend that has been eat up with cancer. I just found out yesterday. His hope isn't here. Of course, we pray, God, by your strength and by your might and by your ability through your great and mighty wonders, heal him. He's a preacher of the word of God. God, we need strong men who are preaching the truth these days. God, heal him. That's what I begged the Lord this morning. But if he doesn't, he hasn't failed him. He's got a home awaiting him. That is for eternity. That is for eternity. Listen, this this news should cause us as Christians to rejoice. But for those that are not in Christ, listen, it should cause you a great struggle in your soul. He promises, and His promises will stand. His word is truth. He does not lie. He is honest, and He has promised you and me this great reality, and it will come to pass. Listen, heaven is a prepared place. It's promised. But lastly, I want you to see, thirdly, that heaven is a private place. So Jesus comes out and tells them, I'm going to prepare a place and I'll come again, guys. And you know where I'm going. And old Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? There's confusion as to what Jesus has said at this time. There seems to be some inability to grasp this truth. Listen there's a there's a the context to their misunderstanding is a reality. I mean they 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 viewed Jesus as the Messiah. I mean in in their thought and their understanding of the Messiah was that he would come as a conquering king and that deep down inside of their hearts they believed that he was their Messiah and that they believed listen he would free Israel of their Roman oppression. They believed that Jesus would restore Israel's sovereignty and, and glory and extend it over the world. The concept of a dying Messiah, listen, had no place in their theology. That's the context for which they're confused. What do you mean you're going to die? You're Messiah. Messiah doesn't die. He delivers us now. But Jesus says, no, I came on a donkey to serve you as a servant, to show you how you are to love one another. But don't worry, I'm coming back. I am coming back to pull my people from this earth to be with my father, and we'll go through that reality, and Jesus will come back and he will have victory and he will conquer death. And he will be reigning king. So what is he saying is doesn't make sense to them. It didn't line up with their traditions or their beliefs. Listen, just because they believed in it didn't make it true. No, actually it made them wrong. They had what we call stinking thinking. They didn't really understand. So He asked the question. You say, we we know where we're going. Look, how do we know the way? <laughs> Jesus in His patience declares to them this amazing truth which causes the post-modern world to absolutely lose their ever loving mind when he says i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me jesus says that he is the road that leads to life the greek phrase o das listen in the greek is in the singular It's not in the plural. He is not a way. He is not the best way. No, He is the only way to heaven. This is a reality. Listen, I can try to show up at some fancy place, plantation, enter through their private gates, but they won't let me in. I can go to sea pines right now and drive up there and pull up the little gate and go, I'm trying to get to the back. And what are they going to ask me? Sir, where's your pass? You see, listen. Jesus says, I am your ticket. I am your gate pass. I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate of the sheepfold. Listen, Christ is the only way. And unless you have Him as your Savior redeemed and right standing before God, you will not even sniff heaven's gates. Here's your ticket. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, He died for the sins of of the world. That means He died for you. That means He died for everyone who is in touch of my voice today. He has died for you and you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Listen, 1 John 2 says, my little children, See, there's that beauty again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, that would be all of us, because we do. We have an advocate with Jesus Christ because He has now imputated His righteousness to us. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. But listen, not only our sins, but the sins of all of the world. Listen, the cross, His death was sufficient for all but it is only efficient to those who believe. And He calls us to repent of our sin and believe. The price has been paid. The ticket has been bought. We don't believe in universalism. Not everybody goes to heaven. Because again, it's sufficient for all, but only efficient to those who believe. What makes it a private place is that Scripture teaches Jesus is the only way. Listen, they don't have a problem with the messenger. They they have a problem with the message. The world wants many ways to God because the Bible says they already know that God exists in their heart. Romans chapter 1. So our approach is not to prove them that God exists. They already know. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we don't have to prove to them God exists. No, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That is general revelation. So when we go and we approach someone to share the hope of Jesus Christ and to prove God is true, it's a moral problem. We need to approach their heart. We need to make them realize they've broken the laws of God. He is not a way. He is not the best way. He is the only way. He is exclusive. Acts 4.12 reminds us there is salvation and no one else, for there's no name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to me, death is hard, but those that are in Christ, death is just a step into eternity with Christ in His Father's house. There's joy in that. Which he has prepared beforehand. He has promised to those that are in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul struggled. He wanted to go home to be with the Lord, but he says, no, I got, I got work here to do. There's yet need people to be saved. And I'm tension. It's better that I go be with the Lord because there will be no more pain. But, but I see a need here. And that is the reality. That's a tension we should all share. You see, we have hope in Christ and without Christ, there is no hope. I can't give you hope without Christ. Because really and truly, there is no hope without Christ. Listen, I've never in my life been to a funeral where somebody has died and gone to hell. Think about that for a minute. Have you? If they did, they weren't. it was never said, honestly. But hell is just as real as heaven. And I'm telling you right now today, unless you believe Jesus Christ, hell will be your final destination. But Christ has provided a way for those that would believe. I love the song that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other grounds are sinking sand. all other ground is sinking sand. Listen, without Christ, you will die in your sin and you will be judged before a holy and righteous judge who can see everything you do, who knows every word you speak. To all of those that have believed and trusted in Christ, listen, none of them will be disappointed. Christ is the way. He is not only the way, He is the truth and He is the life. I love this quote from Thomas Kemp's. It says, Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow. The truth which thou must believe. The life which thou must hope. I am the invoidable way. I am the infallible truth. I am never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth. Life true, life blessed, life uncreated. Listen, you can today have the blessed hope and security of being standing in the right hand of the Father when you die and you go to heaven, that you will be with them in eternity. But the key is this purpose statement of all of John John 20 verse 31 but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name the best thing that I can do for you now is stop talking and turn you over to the Lord And let you make a decision today. If The Lord is pricking you in your heart. That you know if you stand before God. You're you're not forgiven. You've never trusted in Christ. You've trusted in your works and your abilities. The Bible says today can be the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed one more breath. After your next one. And it will be too late. And so I call on you. To believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven, listen, is a prepared place. It's a promised place. But it is private. And Jesus wants you to be with Him. Would you believe on Christ today? And would you be encouraged as believers to know that when we leave, we will be in a dwelling place with the Father and Christ and all of those that have gone on before. What better to rejoice? Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us, and have a great week.